Welcome everyone to the Solutions Brewing Podcast. Uh, I'm Stephen Sock and I am joined, as always, as, as of late, uh, Robert Kalachuk and Brennan Pipa. And uh, we're actually talking about a, uh, a person actually wrote in to us. Uh, yeah, my cousin Courtney. <laughs> yeah. She, <laughs> she uh, or he was, yeah. uh, well, that's all the Courtney's I know are like, I don't know any guy Courtney's. They're all female well, Courtney. So, sorry, you... Courtney. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, Courtney uh, wrote in, uh, I think it was after our Ancient Beer episode, or was listening to our Ancient Beer episode. No, I so, think it was Ryan Heights. Cool. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, it was like it was way back then. Yeah. Wow, he's going through he's going through the archives. Thanks, Courtney. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I uh, was going through and uh, brought up the talk of, topic of prohibition. So we thought we would talk a little bit about that today, and it's kind of well, interesting. Well, Steve's suggesting it was an original thought. No, Courtney suggested that we do this, and this is exactly what we're doing. We're very easily manipulated by our um, adoring masses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, but yeah, uh, we were uh, going to talk about it, and it's, it's kind of interesting because uh, like the, the most famous prohibition is definitely the American prohibition. Uh, it was, you know, you know, the speakeasies, the rum runners, you know, the birth of NASCAR because the guys would race across the board, uh, various borders to deliver distilled spirits from location A to location B. Uh, but interestingly enough, Canada went through its own version of prohibition, which we, we will get into shortly as I pass it over to Brendan. Yeah. So in our typical fashion, we've done a thorough amount of research on Wikipedia about this. And I'm going to restate what I did on a previous episode that we're in no way historians and have probably got all the facts wrong. But um, mm -hmm. prohibition, obviously, is the idea that the production and sale of alcohol is to be banned, um, prohibited. It's, it, it's no longer available. It's determined to be something that is detrimental to society, detrimental to the public good, and therefore people shouldn't even be allowed to to, to do it. Well, it's not the um, first time that's ever happened, like, because it's, it's always something new happens, and it is the downfall of society. So, like, the internet, and, I know, Tinder, and, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, leggings and jorts from the, you the, know, the 90s. The rebellion with a prohibition on Tinder would be kind of funny to see that. <laughs> <laughs> But, but there is always something that uh, society creates or is, you know, comes out. And then everyone is like, or certain people are like, man, if we only got rid of this, all problems would be solved. Yeah. So <laughs> this, this temperance idea or this prohibition idea and temperance was the, the movement that came about. It was this concept that in order to behave better, to build a better society, we should get rid of alcohol. And it was a reasonably popular idea through the 1800s um, and had a little bit of support with a bunch of different kind of religious groups and women's groups and stuff like that that kind of kept bringing this forward and it never really got a ton of traction until the early 1900s uh, and specifically around World War One. Um, and in Canada this is when they first made uh, brought through legislation to actually prohibit or limit the production of alcohol and the drinking of alcohol and initially it was brought in as a wartime measure uh, something to first of all um, save some of the uh, economic burden of the 
country and some of the effort instead of diverting it to alcohol production was diverted to the war effort. Um, and then the other kind of premise for it was that if people aren't drinking as much, they'll be more focused on producing stuff for the war and then they'll be able to win the war faster. So that kind of brought it in, in Canada and, and, and also kind of in the States as well. They had a, a bit of a temporary measure in, in and around that 1917, time frame that, that started it all. Um, but shortly after the war ended, the, the national prohibition in Canada, anyway, the national prohibition was lifted, but each province kind of brought in their own legislation to prohibit the sale of alcohol. And they all did it around the same time. Um, the hilarious thing about this though, is that Quebec being the, uh, rebellious province that they are never really, um, they were the last to bring in a prohibition member, uh, um, prohibition legislation. Uh, and the very first to repeal it. Uh, I think it lasted about six months in that in that province before it was just taken down by uh, <laughs> popular demand. <laughs> um, so it was it very very interesting history. Um, and something that would be worth digging into more. But apparently there was a split in the religious groups that supported it. Um, obviously, like you have Church of Latter Day Saints and stuff like that that would very obviously support this. But it was like. Uh, I should scroll to the right part of this. I know the Catholics strongly opposed prohibition, which I always thought was interesting. Well, if you're a Catholic, wine is only for the sacrament. You shouldn't be enjoying it outside of the sacrament. No, 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 quite the opposite. But Jesus' blood um, is so delicious. Yeah, that, that was more there. <laughs> so, uh... Protestant denominations, Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterians, and Congregationalists generally supported pro- supported prohibition. However, the Catholics in, in Canada, anyway, the French Catholics and the Irish Catholics, strongly opposed prohibition. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that was la- a large part of why it didn't last very long in Quebec, because Quebec brought it in as a provincial thing, and then the people basically rebelled. <laughs> oh, they, okay, they I, I misheard you there. I thought you said that originally the Catholics were for prohibition like that doesn't make sense but fair enough no for for repealing is what i meant to say okay (laughs) but yeah so kind of between 1916 and 1919 uh or all of the provinces adopted some kind of prohibition nova scotia is a bit of a laggard in kind of both enacting it and repealing it they they enacted in 1921 when most of the other provinces were already starting to repeal it um, but they're kind of off on the East Coast there and have their own way of own their own pace of doing things. So I think this is a bit of a reflection of that. And it's kind of interesting too, because the like one of the biggest breweries in uh, Canada for the longest time was the Alexander Keats Brewing, Com- uh, Brewing Company in Halifax. Like that that exported beer uh, across most of uh, the British. Uh, British sub uh, subcontinent there, like India and uh, other spots. Like it was one of the like there's there's a lot of breweries that were doing India pale ales, but uh, Alexander Keats like that was a, like a, a major export because <laughs> well, because uh, the, the British soldiers needed their uh, their liquor. Well, I believe the loophole was that uh, you weren't allowed to sell it. You can make it, but you can sell it. 
Well, that's silly, right? <laughs> but I mean, you saw. Well, it was a lot of a lot of public consumption stuff was outlawed. Yeah. So bars were closed. Um, couldn't have beer with your meal at the hotel or anything like that anymore. Um, which, I mean, it, it kind of led to this rise of underground sales, uh, black market sales, and production of liquor. Because not everybody knows how to make beer. Not everybody knows how to make wine. No. So then, and then what they did was they would they would hide, they'd hide it in like a, they would disguise it in like something else right like i don't i didn't read what they were hiding it in but they put it into like a medicine bottle or something like that and actually interestingly enough it was as part of prohibition you you were still allowed to drink for medicinal reasons <laughs> so <laughs> there was well, there, were, like, that's a... there were lineups at doctors offices to get to get um you know, basically get a doctor's note saying that you need whiskey. Whiskey is the cure to whatever problem you have. <laughs> <laughs> well, like that's the exact same th- thing happened in the U.S. too. The you know, you would get what was it? Uh, yeah, you could get doctor's notes for whiskey, or uh, grape manufacturers would send you a brick of uh, of like grape must or whatever, and they would send it to you and be like. Under absolutely no conditions do you do these various things, because if you do, it'll turn into wine. So make sure you don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell you how to make wine, but I can tell you exactly what not to do. <laughs> yeah, like I was reading. This is a couple months ago. I was reading up on. Uh, it was just like getting around all the various things, and yeah, like there was uh, basically not wineries, but uh, uh, I don't know, but. Uh, my words are escaping me at the moment. Place where grapes are grown. That's not a winery. A vineyard. vineyard. There we go. So the vineyards would pa- like would package the juices of the grapes and would sell them. But then, yeah, they would sell them with the instructions that it's like if you took this and you left it like open air uh, around your barn for you know seven to ten days, then sealed it tightly uh, with a single air hole coming out of it or a bung or an airlock sort of thing. This, you know, that would be the improper way to store this grape must. Like, and if you do that, it may ferment. And if it does ferment, it will contain alcohol and you should absolutely not drink it. And then you should dispose of it immediately. Like yeah. a good responsible temperance. So, sounds exactly. like the birth of the wine kit. <laughs> it, it, it pretty much is a prototype wine kit it's like from back in the day to get, to get around it. Because again, the sale of alcohol, but if you sell the components to it, then you're fine. <laughs> which is so silly. Uh, so another interesting here is I, I, I found an article here from the Edmonton Journal, um, and they, they had dug up a, uh, an old article about when Prohibition had ended, and the reason they had dug into this was because of cannabis. Cannabis had recently become legal, right? And um, they said one of the reasons, too, that people voted for Prohibition was in 1915 1916 when this was voted in um uh women didn't work right it was men were all the breadwinners um so what was and and what was happening uh they they comment here that banks often closed in the afternoon so what was happening was the banks were closed and all these young men working men were cashing their checks at the bar so they're basically <laughs> drinking away their paychecks, and then so their families were destitute, right? And then broke, yeah. yeah. 
so this was one of the reasons for that. And then there were other things like there were people didn't know how to handle alcoholism and things like that too, right? I was just going to say unreasonable bank times is uh, a problem we still live with to this day. Yeah. So that has that hasn't changed in a hundred years. Well, at least now and the cause of all the world's yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> there, there we go. That we should have a prohibition on bank hours. It should be. That's why. <laughs> no, 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 not a prohibition. A a, a opening, a relaxing of bank hours, or yes. like a, basically bankers' hours should no longer be a term. It, it pretty much is. You, like with online stuff nowadays, like how often do you actually need to go into a bank now? Like it's super rare. Actually, we just went through like mortgage process and all that sort of stuff and didn't have to go into the bank once. And that was fantastic. Wow. Cause like, and I they're did... like, where do you want your local branch to be? And I was like, I don't care. I will never go there. <laughs> Which is funny. Cause like I did my <laughs> renewal like six, seven months ago and yeah, we had to go into the bank twice to do it. And what? Yeah. And, uh-huh. and it was super <laughs> sad too. Cause uh, we went with our local, uh, Alberta Treasury Branch, uh, and the one that we had closed down two months prior, so we had oh, so the next nearest nobody was one, going to the bank. <laughs> yeah, and the next nearest one was like, uh, like ten a ten minute drive or something like that. And it's like, oh, this is a pain in the ass, and I've got to haul the child as well. So, well, yeah, ten minute drive. I'm just glad we didn't have to go into a branch because we were at the time we were on Cochrane and having to drive to a local branch in Calgary is with the baby and all that sort of stuff. Not fun. That's a whole trip. <laughs> it's it, Anyway, they, they were like, we do this online. We're like, great. That is awesome. So now that the concern with cashing checks at the bars has been kind of resolved, and I don't know any bar that would actually take a check nowadays. No. I mean, well, we're talking like this was 1916, right? So 1916, yeah. So presumably, um, a lot of these issues got solved in the early 1920s because that's when a lot of these provinces, again, excluding Quebec, started to vote to repeal these. And the the timing of how these changed, and these were all provincial matters, right? And so it's interesting that they all, over the course of like six or seven years, all the provinces ended up repealing the Prohibition Acts, but the timing of it leads to some interesting nuances and interprovincial um, relations. So British Columbia was one of the early ones to repeal it. They actually repealed it in 1921. Alberta, which borders British Columbia, didn't re- vote to repeal it until 1923. So there's two years where it is legal to produce and sell alcohol in British Columbia, but not in Alberta. Hmm. And <laughs> this led to the, the rum runners running through the mountains and bringing booze across the border that way because uh, prohibition at this point was now already in full force uh, down in the States, too, so you couldn't get anything from south of the border from a legal production facility anyway. And hmm. it it kind of became the Wild Wild West. There were operas written about this. <laughs> like, there was a lot of a lot of crazy stuff that happened between the Alberta and the BC border. And then in Saskatchewan and Manitoba, I think it was the same. Manitoba was also 1921. Saskatchewan didn't repeal until 1925, so there's four years there. Where, again, just across the border, you can go and do it. Weird. So the majority of Canadian provinces repealed prohibition by the mid-1920s. I mean, Ontario is a little bit late at 1927. The U.S. puts prohibition into full force, and it carries on into the 30s. 
so, so Canada the Great Depression then. So that's that's a great time to not have alcohol, right? So, but there was uh, moving over to my prohibition in the United States Wikipedia article, um, <laughs> secondary source that would have got me shot in university. Uh, <laughs> but it was very popular to travel from northern states into Canada to go get a drink because you're going doing so it's a, the equivalent to going to Amsterdam ten years ago. Yeah. Um, but my, Quebec in particular, because Quebec basically put in prohibition and repealed it almost immediately. <laughs> it was very popular to go to Montreal, and there were songs written about going to Montreal to get a drink. Well, that actually still a... occurs today because the legal uh, age for drinking in Montreal is 18, though in Ontario it is 19. So when. Uh, and of course in the States it's 21. And so making the trip across the border from either the south to Quebec or from west to east from like ottawa over to quebec is a very frequent thing uh, a lot of uh kids i knew in university who were from ontario uh, made the uh was it driving over the bridge of hall or to hall uh to basically do shenanigans and then taking taxis back in the evening so there was always a, a steady flow in and out of montreal that hasn't changed in 100 years no fair enough and that's <laughs> Uh, it's just it kind of birth of a city or uh, the modern representation of the city anyway. Uh, but they had a great little uh, great little poem written in the um, Wikipedia article here that I chuckled at when I read it. It was four and twenty Yanks feeling very dry went across the border to get a drink of rye. When the rye was opened, the Yanks began to sing, "God bless America, but God save the king." <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was cute. Um, the repeal of this is interesting because it's, it established a lot of the liquor control boards that came into place or that we still deal with today. I mean, the liquor control board of Ontario came into place immediately after prohibition was repealed and it was part of the justification for repealing it. It's like, okay, well, we don't need to prohibit this, but maybe we could control it and control manufacture of it, distribution pricing and something like that. Um, and it also provided the legal measures for enforcing it. And that was part of the problem in Alberta is that the way that the prohibition legislation was worded, it was basically very difficult to enforce. They said it was impossible um, to enforce. One of the reasons why they ended it um, Yeah, I got <laughs> this article actually is interesting from the Edmonton Journal. I kind of want to read this. Um, so it starts at the beginning. So it was like so prohibition comes into place and it says illegal drinking soon flourished. Bootlegging was rampant, especially in the Crow's Nest region. Uh, Edmonton's Inglewood neighborhood uh, was a popular place to hide stills. Doctors who were allowed to prescribe alcohol found themselves besieged by patients with ailments curable only with brandy. And then now this is interesting because I didn't know about this part. So. It says the Alberta Provincial Police, a short-lived force created after the RCMP left the province in 1916. Some suspect over the reluctance to enforce prohibition. Soon showed it wasn't up to the task of enforcing the new liquor laws. So basically, even RCMP, which is federal police, didn't want to enforce prohibition. So we had to create our own police force who was incapable of actually enforcing the rules. And then, uh, okay, so this is really interesting. I didn't know about this either. So you guys know UFA, which is uh, what, 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 
where does it say? The United Farmers Association yes. or something? So they were a political party, and they were actually in power uh, in the at this time. And it says, by the spring of 1923, so this is around when it ended, the UFA was in government and facing a dire fiscal picture. The province had run up debt, bailing out drought-stricken farmers, and booze revenues were beginning to look more like a solution than a problem. <laughs> so, Ooh. <laughs> so, Always look for the good solution. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, the same argument that was used by uh, the Yankee. <laughs> To look up which president this was, but he actually campaigned on uh, ending prohibition as a form of tax revenue. Yeah, Franklin Roosevelt. Uh, so in 1933, they signed in the act to lift prohibition in the states because they were in the middle of the depression and they needed the revenue from alcohol sales in order to bail out the country. <laughs> well, you know, just a, a little sidebar like that was one of the main. Uh, reasons why like marijuana prohibition you know kind of slowly gained traction over the years it's like yeah if it's legal you can tax it and guess what all that revenue is going to flow into various programs and general coffers and all that kind of stuff so like seeing this in the 1920s 1930s it's like yeah you know you, you can let people like get away with it underneath the radar or you can bring it out in the open and make money from it so it again another parallel uh to modern and uh, the most recent uh i don't know substance prohibition yeah now of course there were some bad things that came out of the prohibition they're feeling on uh, the six or seven years so from 1915 to the time prohibition ended in Canada, we'll call it 1924 as a, a rough average. Mm -hmm. By the end of that prohibition, nearly three quarters of the breweries in Canada had closed. Yeah. And there was, and as we've talked about in previous episodes, there was a long time where new breweries were not being opened. It wasn't until the late, late 20th century, early 20 or early 2000s that new breweries started kicking off again. We now enjoy a, a vast variety of great beer. Um, but that definitely set us back by 60 years. Yeah. Because, well, I, I'm, I, like, I'm pretty sure we mentioned this on a previous podcast. But back in the day, in Alberta specifically, and I'm pretty sure it was in similar across other provinces, there were production minimums. So you needed a brewery big enough that theoretically you could hit production minimums which meant uh investment wise like you needed a large tank or many large tanks a large production facility and the ability to brew again like i think it's like five oh geez i'm trying to remember now like five hundred thousand liters or something like that it was something fairly large and the initial investment to get that started was six figures to seven figures and so again you know why would why would you do that uh if you know you like there is no there's no way that many people could even think about starting that whereas now like at least in alberta there are no production minimums so it's just like make beer and especially us in our initial system that we're going to be making here uh is going to be half barrel so like that's gonna you know 
that <laughs> that is s smaller than most people would want. Wait, way smaller, very small. It means very many uh, frequent brewing days. Yeah, because I, I even think the smallest one, uh, the smallest other commercial one that I know of is the one barrel at two pillars, and one barrel is tiny. That's only uh, for well, our be... listeners. That's yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Stevie. And it's about roughly a hundred to one hundred and ten liters final volume out of a single batch. So that's two. Uh, 50, 58 liter barrels or two, kegs. Two kegs, yeah. Yeah. So, like, even there, brewing very frequently. And going back to the Jasper trip, we were talking with uh, Dandy and uh, Far, and <laughs> Dandy started on a three hectoliter system, and uh, the Far guy was very confident in his beer and went from a home brewing setup to a 35 hectoliter system. He's done very well for himself, though. Yes. So <laughs> under the previous laws, we would have had to brew 12 times a day to meet the production. Which would not be possible. <laughs> if, maybe if we had, like, a continuous system. It just, like, no. the water just flows in consistently nope. <laughs> and it still goes through. It still wouldn't be possible. It takes, like, five hours to make beer. <laughs> can't that's that's well, not possible you need 60 hours but how much active time how much active time do you have in the pot which is quite a lot so it's if, it's 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 around two hours yeah but it doesn't matter yeah. if you only have one pot you still have to wait but you have pipes going everywhere into various no no no, no we would have to have like a million fermenters to do this yes. <laughs> and to be working 24 hours a day 365 days a year Allowing no time to actually finish the product, package it, or ship it out. <laughs> just, just get to the end of it and dump it. <laughs> we don't have time to finish it. Dump. We got more but beer no. to brew. Absolutely, the change, the change in the uh, the laws and the minimum production is what has allowed the explosion of craft brews and for us to exist to even talk about this. Yeah, and mm -hmm. oh, and if anyone, if you wanted to learn more about that, we talked about that in episode twelve, Alberta Beer Landscape. That's where we talk about the um, minimum requirements and stuff like that being lifted. Nice callback. Yeah. Nice callback. Like, I remember talking so, about it. I was trying to find the episode. Found it. <laughs> so, so the last thing that I looked up today was a little tiny ghost town in Alberta that's called Whiskey Gap. Uh, and this is on the border of Alberta and Montana. And the reason that it's interesting is because it acted as the crossing for a number of illegal alcohol imports and exports first one than the other because <laughs> the enforcement of prohibition was more strict in canada at the start of this whole time frame kind of that 1918 to 1920 and then more strict on the american side of it from 1920 to 1933 <laughs> and this tiny little town which doesn't have anybody in it it was initially a canadian pacific railway stop for grain which became a ghost town before this started um, yeah, served as the thoroughfare first from the States up and then from Alberta down to the States to supply. And it was officially renamed Whiskey Gap with some, uh, some opposition from other residents in the nearby area. Hmm. Apparently there's still some old structures there that you can go see. Oh, so it's like a, a living ghost town then? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if there's any like active maintenance on the buildings, but 
the wind hasn't knocked him down yet. So. <laughs> okay, so if uh, if it all kind of like trailed off in the twenties and thirties, which province was the last one to end prohibition? P. Mm, take a guess. Okay, ah, you're in it, Rob. Ah. <laughs> I I was going to guess one of the maritime provinces. I was going to say Newfoundland. Oh, no, not Newfoundland. They love their rum too much. I would have said New Brunswick. So PEI was actually looks like uh, the longest running prohibition as well. They actually brought it in in 1901. Holy crap! When did they end? It? I think it was it was pretty late too. 1948. Were they 1948. There you go. Oh the, yeah, yeah. They they were a province, part of Confederation, and all that kind of stuff. When did that happen? 1867. Oh. <laughs> no, who who is super late? There's somebody Newfoundland. That joined until like 50s. Newfoundland was 1949. Oh, that's what I'm confused about. Yeah. Then. yeah. So then it makes sense that they wouldn't have been a part of this whole thing because they were still a British uh, colony or territory at the time, and their rum trade was pretty uh pretty sizable so no they were part of prohibition on the same time frame as alberta okay. 1917 1921. really so huh. okay guys but that's actually prov at the province level there's still some dry counties you could call them or municipalities and actually i think alberta is the last one there is a county or region of uh cardston I think it's called Cardston. It's it's a town in an area, and they only. Uh, it's a largely Mormon community, which is probably why it lasted so long. It only just became wet in like 2020. Huh. So actually, that's pretty far south. So that is near the border. Actually, that's very close to. Actually, it's not that close, but it's uh, south of Lethbridge. Let's see if that's huh. in the right article. Yeah, it's... Uh... Actually, it's funny. It's actually fairly close to Whiskey Gap now that you mentioned it. It is very close. I was actually, I was like, <laughs> where did I know that? Oh, it's from the article on Whiskey Gap. Yeah. yeah. 20, 20 kilometers away from Whiskey Gap. Yeah, so that that place didn't become... Last few years of the process. June 17th, 2020. So just... Two years wow. ago. <laughs> Not even two years ago. It's a year and a half at the time of this recording. Like, you still hear about Was dry... it the pandemic that pushed them over here? <laughs> I know. Maybe. No, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, the pan pandemic was so bad it drove Mormons to drink. Well, actually... Maybe. Yeah. Well, no, just that the people who are not Mormon in the Mormon town no. <laughs> like, no, we need something. We can't go Actually, out. it's not even what you think about it. It wasn't the municipality that brought it back in. It was just... It was the province who's just like, why is this still dry? It's gone. Because they just eliminated it. Huh. Because <laughs> they just overruled the county. They're like, yeah, no, that's silly. So <laughs> the thing is, like, I mean, they don't have to. If if the, if the municipality doesn't want to allow a liquor store to come in, they don't have to allow it. But, but the, whatever. The, the, like, yeah, the province, like, totally eliminated all these restrictions. So it's, it's gone. But, yes. So, so that's very interesting because, like, in the U.S., like, there are still dry counties and kind of dry states, depending on, you know, your definition sort of thing. But, like, like famously, the uh, where Jack Daniels is produced is actually a dry county. And that's I think that's in Alabama? Or is, is that Tennessee? Tennessee whiskey? Yeah. So, I hope yeah. it's in Tennessee, because that's what it says in the bottle. Yeah, so, yeah, Jack Daniels is actually brewed, like, 
per- distilled in a dry county, which is just silly. But I thought like that was completely gone in Al- in uh, not only Canada but Alberta. Like that's well, but these are so dry as in like we're not gonna have a liquor store that sells it as opposed to a prohibition on the production of it or some actual illegality to it. But that, like that's like, such it, a more, but that's such like an old like you know granted like it's a you know Church of Latter Day Saints area sort of thing, but that's still like a very old mentality and an old way of doing things that it's it's kind of interesting just that that survived for this long because true but 80 percent of the county is latter-day saints so there's not exactly <laughs> a market there any either <laughs> well fair enough that, that is fair enough but it just you know that's a it's just a holdover from the early 1900s and now it's early to early 2000s and that was still a thing <laughs> well you want to speak about holdovers from the early 1900s mm-hmm. um so even though where am i reading here despite lifting the prohibition it still remained illegal for most types of liquor to be shipped across provincial borders that's true it still is yeah. kind of that way yeah well and now in 2012 an Okanagan MP tabled a bill which would uh, repeal the restriction and allow the interprovincial distribution of wine. Um, passed the bill with a vote of 287 to 0. <laughs> yeah, I found it interesting, though, how it only applied for wine, though. Right? Like, it's there's still stuff on the books here that makes... And you remember a couple couple years ago, there was a guy that got caught going from New Brunswick to Nova Scotia? Uh, nope. Yeah. Uh, the other way he was going... Quebec to New Brunswick. Yeah, he he oh. lived in he yeah. lived in New Brunswick. He went to Quebec to buy a bunch of beer, there and he are. wanted to yeah. bring it back, but that was illegal, and he got arrested. And and, and, and it, we all do this, but it it is technically illegal. <laughs> like yeah. you can't traffic this stuff across the provincial borders still. Which is just or there's so very silly. tight restrictions. Although I I think that just got lifted very, very recently. So the, actually the reason why is because all liquor being imported or exported to the province is still underneath the control of the liquor boards, which is the mm-hmm. the second stage of that prohibition, you know, prohibition to liquor control. Like that still is the uh, vast majority of the the country of Canada has a liquor control board in their particular area. So... And then it's it's funny because that actually ties into a bunch of other stuff we talked about before. Like the reason why we can't just up and sell in like BC or something like that is because we got to get approval and be like an agent of or a, a thing of uh, the British Columbia Liquor Board. And same thing with going to Saskatchewan and like trying to get across the border, you need a partner somewhere or a company big enough who's willing to go to bat for you to get your beer or liquor distillery elsewhere. So like, that's like, you know, a relic of 70 years that hasn't gone away and is still affecting us to this day. And especially now that we're a business in this sort of thing. Yeah. This is why a lot of breweries, they don't even try to distribute across Canada. They go to States or they go international because it's easier. Yeah. Well, like uh, I was just thinking like when, Wild Rose was a brewery in Calgary was bought by Sleeman's, which was then bought by Sapporo. Uh, I remember my friend out in, I think he was in Halifax, was like, oh yeah, one of your beers made it out here. 
and and sent me a can of wild or a picture of a can of wild rose and i was like yeah because they've got the distribution ability now to get out of province and elsewhere so that was very just a having the ability of a large company behind your back to get you your beer elsewhere sort of thing well now i'm excited to be able to get banded peak stuff all across the country <laughs> yeah sellouts you lucky bastards <laughs> god bless them god bless them but oh you sold out actually what is it there one of their beers is for sale now at the uh saddle dome yeah and it was funny because everyone's lauding like oh yeah like a craft brewery finally made it to like the big leagues and it's like well is that like a you know this thing and it's like well no they got bought out so they're owned by labatt so it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just now they have another option to upsell you an extra couple bucks on a beer. Hey, it's better than the bud they have. Yeah, yeah. It's a way for the dome to bring in a craft beer without oh, without no, breaking their contract, right? So yeah, and at that's exactly it's a what local it is. Guy, like I don't know. I think it's all good. <laughs> I'm just jealous. That's all. I am too. And hopefully they'll buy us in three years and we'll be able to like get our beer into the salad dome too. I like that. I like that thinking. <laughs> well, I feel like we've run the gamut on prohibition here. Um, I think we rambled uh, a lot. We should take place. a vote on whether or not we're for or against it. Uh, Rob? <laughs> I'm totally against prohibition. You kidding me? <laughs> Steve? Uh, I have to say I am against prohibition too. And I'm against as well. So the nays have it. We will leave history in the past (laughs) (laughs) and carry on with uh, the good thing we got going on right now. What about a prohibition on cheap, nasty beers? How about that? Oh, that gets a little too subjective. (laughs) We'll just have to trust our beer reviewers to guide us in the right direction. All right. That sounds good. But if anybody wants to reach out to us and tell us how we can make our beer better or which... um, cheap nasty beers we should drink and taste on this podcast next how can they reach us rob <laughs> you can go to our website no problems at solutionsbrewing.com and uh, there's a contact us page that sends us an email and that email or you can just write the email which is no problems oh no you just repeated yourself oh my god i did yeah <laughs> yeah that's okay. That's what happens when you drink beer and podcast at the same time. <laughs> True. This is how we did a prohibition. <laughs> we, have to, we have to do dry cast, dry cast. No. Um, yeah, or you can reach us on Facebook or Instagram at Solutions Brewing Co. Perfect. All right. Well, that's uh, it for this week, guys. And uh, I guess we'll talk to you next time and thank you courtney for sending us a topic if anybody else has a topic please tell us we'd love to talk about various different things and we're not very creative people so if you can send us ideas we'll talk about we're, we're also procrastinators who don't think about this until the actual meeting day and we're like oh shit what are we talking about that's right <laughs> don't don't be shy if you want to give us a topic and you if you want to find out what three idiots can learn in 20 minutes do it <laughs> hey we stretched that into like a 40 minute episode almost like but i mean 20 minutes of bad. pre-research like you well fair enough but if oh <laughs> if you want if you want anybody to take five minutes of research into 40 minutes of the podcast <laughs> for you um, we're, we're regurgitating at half the rate we read it at so it's perfect right. 
And, and if there's any more technical beer specific knowledge that you want, that's something that we actually know a little bit about and we can talk more. We have a few years of experience with that. <laughs> Maybe a special shout out to thank you, Wikipedia. Yeah. Darn tootin'. All right. All right, guys. Take care. Talk to you later. Cue the music, girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>